Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast, where we take a deep dive into what makes coaches and leaders great. We're excited about our sponsor, Symmetry Turf. Symmetry Turf is a Texas-based turnkey sports construction company that specializes in building premier athletic facilities for schools, universities, and municipalities. Visit them at www.symmetryturf.com and check them out on Facebook. This is a Kingdom Coaching Podcast. Kingdom Coaching equips, consults, and represents coaches of all sports all across the country. Now for our host, Travis Wyckoff. Today on the podcast, we have Orv Solomon. Orv was my boss at Des Moines Area Community College. He was the head men's basketball coach, uh, as well as the athletic director there. And so I spent one year with Orv. And to say that my year with Orv was pivotal would, would be an understatement. Um, so I want to I encourage you. I think oftentimes the, the instinct that we have is like not – we don't recognize the name of the person on the podcast, and so we're just going to skip this one. You know, this is not uh, a, a name around the country. It's not like Bob Bowlesby. It's not like some of the other Division One athletic directors I've, I've had on the show or Division One, um, you know, coaches. M- most people, unless you're from the little area around around uh, Iowa and, and some some parts of Missouri, Orb just doesn't have a national name. And I'm telling you, if you will hang in there and listen to this podcast. There is so much gold uh, to be had. I came uh, to, to Moynary Community College, honestly, a little bit turned upside down. I, I, I think I had a decent idea of who I was as a coach and my wirings and giftings, um, but I'd, I'd gotten turned upside down in some, some ways, and Orv uh, had a huge impact in, in, in kind of freeing me up to be and to coach um, who, who I am and be comfortable in my own skin. Orv is... Um, I think he's elite when it comes to wisdom and insight and he's humble and, uh, he's got a big heart and probably the biggest thing that when I, when I think of Orv, it's like, he is who he is. Like he's just so comfortable in his own skin. There's an attraction there. You just want to hang with him. And so I had the fortune of spending, um, many, many days, um, in his office at lunches with him, hanging out with him, picking his brain, talking, coaching. And, um, a lot of this podcast kind of comes from just some of the conversations we've had just sitting around and asking him what made so-and-so, you know, this, this coach so successful or, um, what made this guy so successful. He, he played for Norm Stewart at the university of Missouri uh, coached at the Division One level, coached overseas uh, with a guy by the name of Nick Nurse, who obviously has been in the in the uh, spotlight here recently. So, I hang in there. If you don't recognize the name, don't let that fool you. This this is gold. This guy's a stud. Um, I, I mentioned this too. He's on my Mount Rushmore. I, I heard a guy guy one time talking about Mount Rushmore and. You know the the people in your in your life that um, need to be chiseled in stone, like they just had massive impact. And Orv Salman is one of those guys for me. So um, you're going to enjoy this. There's so much gold in here. Um, this dude's a stud. And so uh, without further ado, Orv Salman. Orv, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Travis. Good to talk to you. Seriously, yeah, man. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for taking time out and uh, to hop on. 
my podcast. So let's dig right in. Let's go with um, love to hear your journey from from your high school days up into uh, present day. Well, I'm old, so it's, it's going to take some time. But okay. I guess my my formative years uh, were based in a town called Cedar Falls, Iowa. It's a good town, good community. We moved there, I think, when I was in seventh grade. Uh, it's the home of the University of Northern Iowa. And uh, so it was there that, you know, I was a, I was, uh, grew up in a, my dad was a baseball guy. So our whole upbringing, you know, Little League summers was all around baseball and summer vacations. We went to either see the Cubs, my dad's team, or the Braves, my mom's team. And that was, you know, it was either Milwaukee, Chicago, or St. Louis, because I grew up, that was relatively close to Cedar Falls, but that's, that's where I grew up, but somewhere along the line, I fell in love with basketball. Hmm. I was a decent, you know, then I went to high school in Cedar Falls, um, was, was a good high school basketball player. Travis scored a lot of points, uh, got a lot of recognition in the state of Iowa, was recruited uh, to play basketball, but now looking back on it, and even as a coach, I look back on my days as a high school basketball player. I really wasn't a very good player. I wish I had knew more about how to play rather than to shoot it and score points. I'm having shoulder problems right now. You know, I think it's because I didn't pass enough. But <laughs> anyway, I was recruited. I was recruited out of high school uh, to play basketball at the University of Missouri. And, and, and was pretty much an uh, immature kid, uh, a little bit full of myself, but made a decision. And as it turned out, clearly the best decision I think I've made in my life. Uh, and I was to play basketball at the University of Missouri for a guy named Norm Stewart, who, you know, has been out of coaching for a while. So, you know, a lot of younger people really never heard of Norm Stewart, but, you know, was, a, as I mentioned, legendary basketball coach. And, you know, he's a tough guy. He was a demanding guy, uh, the most competitive man uh, I've ever met to this day. But I always liked him. You know, I always felt like he liked us, and I always felt like I could trust him. And I think, you know, that's old true. I'm 68, coach is 83. Uh, last February, I played golf with him out in Palm Desert. You know, he calls probably at least once every three or four months. And, you know, I was, I was an average player in college, and you know, he was the head coach at the University of Missouri for 32 years, and he had a lot of players. So, you know, I think it's pretty evident that he cared about all of all his guys and hung in there with him. But you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Norm Stewart. What um, or who else recruited you out of high school? Well, I visited. It's pretty much a lock that I was going to Missouri. I visited Iowa and Iowa State. Um, visited Iowa. The head coach there was a guy named Ralph Miller, who Travis, by the way, was a Wichita State guy. Yeah, had great success at had great success at Iowa. He had a final. Final Four team, no wait, that was Luke, but but he had a really good team with Freddie Brown played in the NBA, John Johnson played in the NBA, Seattle Supersonics, a couple guys that uh, Glenn Vidnovic, Chad Calabria. So visited Iowa, Iowa State. Iowa State wasn't as good back then, but I mean I met Norm, Coach Stewart, and I wanted to I wanted to go to Missouri. And w- and what was it? What what was the intrigue? What was the thing that made it such a no brainer for you? Well, actually, it's a small world. Uh, coach was the coach at University of Northern Iowa. Back then it was called State SCI, State College of Iowa. But when I moved to Cedar Falls, he was the head coach there. 
And then I think in my sophomore year of high school, he got the Missouri job. But, you know, Cedar Falls, he was like a man. You know, yeah. I mean, he was charismatic. You know, he was 28, 29 years old, fun, exciting. People in town loved him. And, you know, my best friend growing up, and my good friend to this day, was the son of Jim Witham, who was the athletic director at uh, Northern Iowa back then. And we went to all the games and, you know, so Norm played North Dakota in the head, Phil Jackson. And so, I mean, I, I kind of was a young man or a young man, young boy. Just thought, God, it'd be fun playing for Coach Stewart. So that's that's where that connection came from. Yeah. So you you, you mentioned super competitive, tough. What what else made Norm Stewart such a great coach? Well, I think, I th- you know, we'll probably get into it more. I might as well get into it right now. I think all those things are important. You know, the Coach had a philosophy. You know, really came a lot of it came from Mr. Iba. His offensive philosophy came from Tex Winter, who had great success at Kansas, Kansas State. But you know, Coach had a philosophy on on how he was going to play, and you know, there was no compromise. If you wanted to play for Coach, I mean, you know, you had to be good enough, talented enough, but there was a way you had to play. And I think he had, you know, he had special charisma, a special ability. To mold all us guys into, you know, we kind of liked playing hard. We thought we played tough. We thought we were physical. And whether or not, I don't know if we were or not, but I know that that was his style of basketball, and, and we liked it. Other guys, and he was a, he's a tough guy. I mean, he can be an intimidating presence, Coach Stewart. But even when he was, you know, in the middle of us for the, a poor game the night before or something, he always kind of knew that he cared about us. And I think that is – that is critical. So he wasn't only about his philosophy. He cared about his players. And, you know, as we possibly as we talk about some other coaches and or administrators, we'll find that out. I remember we played, we were pretty good. Now we were, we were part, I was part of the, the first 21 seasons in Missouri basketball history. And this would have been like 1970, 71, right in that era. And, and we were ranked the top 20 both my junior and senior years, but back then you didn't go to the NCAA tournament. You know, I think there was only 16 teams to win. It might've been 24, but you had to win your league title to go to the NCAA tournament in both years. Although we ranked in the top 20, we got beat by K-State in the finals, but still, even though K-State was good with Lonnie Kruger and, and Jack Hartman was their coach, they had good players, good teams. He's a great coach, but Missouri's rival was still KU. You know, I mean, yeah. Coach Stewart was known for his for his comment or comments about, you know, when, when my teams play University of Kansas, we're going to stay in Kansas City, Missouri, because I'm not spending any of the taxpayers' money in the state of Kansas. You know, so, I mean, that, that rivalry goes back ages. I mean, you grew up in Kansas. You're aware of it. But we went over, and Kansas was good, but not that good when I played my junior and senior year. But they had a guy named Bud Stallworth who was – Turned out he was a good player in college and had a long NBA career. And we went over to Kansas one afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and me and about three other guys held Bud Stallworth at 50 points that day. <laughs> so, and so we got back to Pratt. We got back to Columbia. We get off the bus. It was an afternoon game in, in Lawrence. We get back to Columbia. Get off the bus. Going to locker room to turn our, our game gear in and all that stuff. We opened my locker and there's, you know, fresh practice gear. And uh, we have somebody goes to the trainer. I went to the trainer and said, what's, Skip, what's this stuff in our locker? He said, put it on, you'll find out. 
So we went back out. We got back on the practice floor and had a tough knockdown drag, drag out two hour practice after playing Kansas. Now you couldn't do that today. You know what I'm saying, Travis? Yeah. Back then, you know, that's, that's he he pulled it off, and I think. You know, we all just kind of expected we got we got our tails beat. We let some guy light us up, and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna have that. You know, and again, it was a different era, but uh, he had that ability. And our teammates, you know, in fact, I'm going to see four of them uh, June 14th. Betty and I are going to Columbia for Father's Day to see her father, and I'm going to see four of my teammates. We still talk. We're still friends today. So. You know, guys that weren't part of a special type of program and a special type of coach aren't friends, you know, 50 years later. No that's doubt. my opinion. No doubt. How, how, um, you, you, you made the comment that you just knew that Norm Stewart loved you. When you, when you say that, like, what is, what was the tangible evidence? What did he do? What was the, the, um, yeah, how did he, how did he just get you guys to know that one, I'm going to be really hard on you, but hard on you, but, but two, I'm also in your corner. How did he do that? I think players, and even today, I, Travis, I think players, you know, if they're playing for a coach that's counterfeit, and I think it's true back then, they, they know it in a heartbeat. They know if they're playing for somebody that, that lies to them. They know if they're playing for somebody that really doesn't care about them. And I, don't mean, I'm not talking about putting their arm around them, but, you know, I think young people back then and today can just tell. Yeah. You know, I, I remember we had some assistant coaches that I thought were that way between you and I, mm-hmm. and I just didn't like them. And they never did anything to me. Uh, I just thought they were counterfeit, and Coach Stewart was never that way. You know, what he his never lied to us that I know about. Um, his word was good, and I think even more important as I look back, I mean, over the last forty-five years, he's helped me when he could, and and all of the other guys that I know. I mean, with jobs during good times, bad times. So I think. Um, that's proven to be true, but I, I do think that I think young people, you know, they're if you're if you're not being yourself, if you're not being real, if you're not being honest, they see through that in a heartbeat, whether it's on the floor or off the floor. No doubt, dude. That's really good. That's such a good word for for a, a younger, like you said, younger coaches. But man, I even think some 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 coaches that have have been around for a while. If, if you're not careful, I've, I've seen this. And, and I think I probably, I think I probably edged on this at times where it becomes kind of about players playing hard and, 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 and playing well. So I can get some glory so I can move up the, the coaching ladder so I can get my wins. And uh, to your point, I think, I think players can sniff that out pretty quickly. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, I think there's, there's, you know, some coaches are just about their philosophy, you know, and I mean their philosophy, you know, how are you going to play? What do you have to do to play for me? This is how we're going to play. We're not going to compromise on it. And that's all that counts, you yeah. know, and, and I, I really, I don't, wouldn't feel comfortable naming people like that, but I mean, I know some couple coaches very, very successful nationally division one basketball. In my opinion, I saw it. I had friends work for them. But that's, that's what they were about. You know, their players play for him, yeah, yeah, but there is no relationship afterwards. And pars- maybe I'm partially idealistic, but I don't care at this point. But I, I do think I think a lot. Of, I know a lot of it's from my uh, experiences with with Norm Stewart that I think you know you, you have a chance to have an impact on young people. Uh, I don't know, possibly Gene Stevenson was like that. Travis, I don't know, but you know you got. That's what I think part of coaching is. But you, young coaches will make that decision. You know, they'll just, they'll make that decision. 
Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I want to, I want to hear here in a minute. I don't want to get into it now because I want to hear the rest of your story, but in a, in a minute we'll, we'll talk Nick nurse, but I always find it super interesting to see um, who succeeds at the highest level in this case, the NBA or in major league baseball or the NFL, because I think there is an element kind of talking of, of kind of hitting off on what you were talking about. There is an element. You can bully some 18, 19, 20 year old kids you can you can kind of this is the way we're going to do it and and it's about me and I don't care I'll rip your scholarship but in order to really win influence in order to really I think coach guys um at at a uh on an unselfish way I think the rubber meets the road when you start coaching 24 25 26 27 year old men at the professional level um I just think man that's such a a uh a, a tough place to do it. You have to be good. You have to be real. You have to be honest. You have to be transparent. You have to be, you have to be tough. You have to be all those things at the professional level. Um, whereas I think at the college level, you can get away. I mean, there's coaches that bully, bully those 18, 19 year old kids and they'll play hard for them. And they'll hate their guts probably the rest of their life, but they can, they can win. It's just kind of a miserable way to go about your, your coaching career. Yeah, I agree. That was really well said, by the way, which, which is not surprising, but I, but I, I, I mean, I'm getting back to the college part of it, and I agree with what you said about, about, about Nick, and I will tell you later on a story about Nick, which I think is really good. But you know, college guys, there's, there's guys that do that because in college, at least basketball, probably the really successful baseball programs. I know football, although with a football coach, but getting back to basketball, you know, I, mean, I think he's a hell of a coach and a great guy. Is Tom Izzo, but Tom Izzo is Missouri, Michigan State basketball. I mean, yeah. he is. Michigan State basketball and he can he can you know coach that any way he wants and there's there's some guys that I really respect and he has to be one of them I wouldn't have mentioned his name but there's other guys that you know they they take it they, they are the program and they're those, other, those kids are going to adapt to them regardless and they like they like people around them walking on eggshells players and yeah. their assistants and I just don't think I think that's a uh, not a proper way to coach. I wouldn't want to be around it. Let me put it that way. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. So you spend four years at uh, Missouri. Walk us through um, post Missouri up into uh, your, your uh, last coaching stop, which is it, which was at Des Moines area community college. Yeah. Just a series of uh, uh, young, young coach. And I've always learned better by my mistakes, Travis. You know what I mean? It's not, maybe not, may not be particularly bright, but I think I've always learned pretty good from mistakes. But, you know, I was a young coach with uh, high expectations, high aspirations. I had goals. I wanted to be a Division One basketball coach, and that's what I wanted to do. Well, back then, as today, those are hard jobs to get. So I went through, you know, and I was married, had two boys, twin boys. And so it was a situation where I could go to some school and be a volunteer coach and then get a salary and try to survive to get those two years of college on my resume. So, you know, I coached high school for some years, had two good jobs, two bad jobs, uh, was an assistant coach in Missouri Western uh, in St. Joe, Missouri division two. And then I guess somewhat of a break came and well, a real break a guy named Gary Garner, who'd been Norm's assistant in Missouri. They were coming off uh, John Sunvold, Steve Savanovich. Missouri won four straight Big Eight titles back then. It was the Big Eight. Well, Gary got the Drake job in 1980, and Gary and I had a close relationship, still do to this day. And 
I was coaching Missouri Western, and Gary said, let's go to Drake and see what can happen. So it was it was tough. Back then, the Valley, it was then, is now, has always been a really good coach league. But back then, well, it had some guys, Travis. Yeah. I mean, you were growing up, and, you know, we're talking about Cliff Livingston, Anquan Tarr, Greg, Greg Dryling, Paul Pressey, Steve Harris, Hersey Hawkins, Jim Liss. I mean, those are some of the guys that were in the league, and I'm thinking of Drag going to those. I don't know if we can get good enough players. Well, we finally started winning. You know, after four years, we started finally started winning some games, not NCAA winning, but I think we won 18 or 19 years. And, and so I'm 35, 36, and my boys are 10 or 11 years old. And, you know, Gary's getting some recognition. And uh, But it was hard. I mean, it was really hard. And also back then, NCAA really didn't have the recruiting calendars that they have today. See, as an assistant coach, you know, you you were gone all the time. I mean, I was gone all the time recruiting. I may be on the road uh, straight for ten days recruiting, and and it was it was a, a challenge to my family. It was also kind of a challenge to me. And I think we'll hopefully get into that later on. But I, I knew I didn't. I, I knew. After we won, I was going to stay there until we won out of my loyalty to Gary and when I needed to. We started winning, and uh, but I knew I didn't want to be 40, 45 years old and be an assistant coach and be a road warrior. You know, I just knew I didn't want that lifestyle. And I think that's part of the process. You know, well, coincidentally, after that 18 or I don't remember, it was 18 or 19 win season at Drake, the UNI job opened up. And I always thought in the back of my mind, you know, I'm from Cedar Falls. I always thought that was a, a Division One job that, that I might have a shot to get. And uh, like I said, coincidentally, it opened up and uh, applied for it. Coach Stewart helped me. And incidentally, Bob Bowlesby was the AD at uh, UNI at the time and Waterloo West graduate and a guy I knew. He's older than me, but I I did know Bob because he you know, worked his way up at UNI before he moved on to a lot bigger and better things. Back, so I interviewed, and I wasn't going to get the job anyway. I only emphasize that because there was like probably five assistant coaches in interview. But today I interviewed. I'm out to lunch with Bob. You know, in between interviews, and Bob goes, "Orb, I've known you a long time. And I've got to tell you that I got a call this morning from Eldon Miller, who had just been let go as a head coach at Ohio State, and Eldon's interested in the U and I job and. Um, he was a big, big name coach, quality guy, quality coach, quality, you know, just really. So they had to hire him, you know. Yeah. So I was a long drive home from Cedar Falls that day, though, back to back to Des Moines. But you know, I, I, like I said, I knew I didn't want to. I knew I didn't want to be forty years old, moving from one job to or one place to the other as assistant coach, trying to work my way up in the basketball food chain. So. Uh-huh. I ended up getting out of coaching and fortunate enough to, to because of connections, get a, a, take over a good insurance agency here in West Des Moines. Uh, did that actually, Travis, for 10 years. During that time, I stayed involved in basketball, did some radio, did some TV, uh, did some stuff with overseas players. So I never really lost my passion or love of the game. I really never did. Uh, but I had, you know, we had a good business and my wife and I had been able to do some things we certainly hadn't done 
when I was coaching. And, uh, and about 10 years after I've been in the business, my sons were graduating from college. And I told my wife, I think I want to get back into co- into coaching. I want to try it one more time. And at a lower level, though, I think I, I that that had been determined. And so, but something somehow I had to get current in coaching. And, and a guy, a young guy that I'd known from Iowa, he played at UNI. And I mentioned I'd been involved with overseas players or trying to mess around with overseas players or coaches and just for the experience more than money. And one of them was a guy named Nick Nurse. And so I had coffee with Nick and told him what I wanted to do. And He'd just taken the job in Manchester, England, with a, a good organization, the Manchester Giants. And Nick goes, "Or why don't you, why don't you, why don't you come over and help me?" Nick was really big into the triangle offense back then, Travis, which is big. You know, Tex Winter, Phil Jackson, yeah, uh, Bulls, Lakers, and and again, the triangle offense is pretty good with Michael and Kobe. <laughs> but anyway, that's so we ran in Missouri, and we ran into Drake, and I didn't know a little bit about it, and Nick. You know, knew I knew a little bit about the triangle offense, and he said, I'd, "I'd love to have you come over and, you know, come over for like a month. We'll get you a place to stay and bring Betty over." And then I kept my business, so I come over for a month, go back for to New Orleans for two weeks, and so it was a great. So I'm 49 years old. It's a great, great midlife adventure for both of us, and we also had good teams. But uh, that's where I, I met Nick. And then the next fall, with a different team from the same Manchester, but a different group of guys, I spent, I think, three or four weeks at training camp the next year with Nick's Manchester team. So, and then I feel like I'm talking way too much, but then, the, you know, the local community college opened up. I was actually offered a job as a head coach in England the same year I was offered a, a head coaching job at AD at DMAC, but what Betty and I found out, I think possibly it's relevant to young coaches, you know, one uh, one thing we'd found out, you know, I'd been an assistant coach, been a head coach alone when I was really young, and then being back as an assistant coach with Nick, although it wasn't the same, I wasn't a full-time assistant at his beck and call, but I, I wanted to do everything I could to help him, but Betty and I found out that having autonomy was really important to us in our lifestyle, and so if I was going to get back into coaching, you know, it was going to be a head coach where you haven't coached for 10 years. And you know, it wasn't like I'd won a national title at, uh, at Hutchinson junior college. So, you know, I needed, I needed to bust it or take, take a job that I could get. And once there happened to be a local community college job open, the Moines area community college, that quite frankly, had not had very much success in each sport other than baseball. And uh, I applied for it and knew some guys. One man, Joe Blake, who was, uh, you know, father of a very good friend of yours, Casey Blake, was instrumental in connecting me with the right people to get the job. And and that's that's how. I mean, I was head coach there for 10 years and had some fun, won some games, had some good players. It was really a comfortable level for me. I was also AD. But when I was coaching, I really wasn't a very good AD. I was more concerned about basketball. But the last <laughs> – Six years, the last six years, you know, I was just full-time AD, and I found out I kind of got into that too, Travis, yeah. a little bit. But the community college, the junior college level you coach there, it's, it, I think it's, it's a fun level. You can still have some balance to your life, first of all. Uh, you can coach good players. You can re- recruit good players. You can 
establish some contacts with coaches at, at higher levels if you want to. And, um, you know, again, the, the two most important things at that point in my life were, you know, having autonomy, being a head coach, and, and having some balance in my life. You know, I kind of like hanging out with my kids. I like to play golf. I like to bike, bicycle a little bit. Uh, and you're able to do all those things. So I think that happened to me as uh, as I went along. Some guys, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring up another coach. Got a very good friend of mine got hired me, Drake, Gary Garner, is now Gary coached at, at Drake University, uh, got fired, uh, went to Fort Hayes State, great Division II program, as you know, won one or two national titles there at Fort Hayes, Hayes State. Got the Southeast Missouri State job in the Ohio Valley Conference. Had one or two NCAA tournament teams. Had good teams there. Uh, got fired, which happens at the low mid-major level, ninety percent of them. Um, and but Gary was, you know, like fast forward to today. Gary is seventy-seven, seventy-eight years old. He's coaching at NAIA Division II school in Madison, South Dakota, Dakota State. Uh, nearly every year goes to the national tournament. My point is, is that he's 77 and loves coaching. Yeah. That, that that balance is not relevant to Gary Garner. That is to me. Yeah. You know, we're different in that way. But Gary has found, you know, the game of basketball, having a team, we talked about it, having a team to coach, you know, having a need to watch film in July. You know, he, he loves it. That is his life. And, um, so everybody, everybody's different, but I think that's that's what you learn or find out if you're if you're open and think about those things as you're growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Thanks for sharing all that. Let's go to Gary Garner, um, who you coached for at at Drake. What made him so good? What was his strengths? Without question, he is. I mean, really, as I think was evidence a little bit about story. He he just he's a hard, hardworking guy. He is constantly consistent. First of all, he had a base on how he wanted to play. You know, and that came from Coach Stewart, Norm, and again, referenced earlier, Mr. Iber, we had a big influence on a lot of coaches in the Midwest back then, you know, and how you're, how you're going to guard, what you're going to do offensively, what was important to you offensively, you know, what the base is, you were, how you were going to play. Gary had a very solid base and wasn't going to compromise from that. But yet he was still always, always working on something. Like I mentioned, the triangle offense. He was always figuring out, okay, what if I have this guy slip on this screen or, or talking to getting a hold of Tex Winter, making that contact, and just reaching out, but constantly working on refining on how he wanted to play. And at the end, uh, other friends of mine who were former assistants, Gary, I mean, there's not a part of the game of basketball of the actual game, out-of-bounds plays, press break, uh, how are you going to attack us on? There's not one part of the game that Gary Garner doesn't know exactly, exactly how he's going to play. And I think that's that's his, that's his strength. And, you know, I call him today, uh, or this time a year, I'll call him in July and say, Coach, I know what he's doing. What are you doing, Coach? He's got a, he's got a room set up in the basement of his house in Madison, South Dakota, or now that the NBA games are on, he's watching those every night with his yellow notepad and a pen. That's that's not me, but that's to me that's Gary Garner's biggest strength. 
Yeah. Wow. Sounds like he's like uh, the proverbial gym rat as a coach. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is, you know, he's a, he's a good player of Missouri and he just, he just loves the, the game of basketball and he, he, he relates to players. You know, there's some, some former great players of his hours here in Des Moines that I see and he'll come back and we'll play golf. So, you know, he's, he still had that capacity. He's a good guy. People like him, but you asked me what his biggest strength was. I think it's his, his capacity just for the game of basketball. That's good. That's good. Okay. Nick nurse, obviously Nick nurse, you know, um, kind of has, as you said earlier, before we started taping, he's, he's, he's probably had a little bit of a life change over the last several years, uh, going from, from England <laughs> to, to the NBA finals. What makes him so great? I think, first of all, I mean, I think, and T, you've been around, you know, high level people. I think Nick and I mentioned Coach Stewart, Gary, but I think, I mean, first of all, Nick is really, really a smart guy. I mean, he is really a smart guy, a bright guy. He's not afraid uh, to think outside the box. He wasn't with his career. Uh, He's not as a coach. And I think those are big attributes. He's really, really, really comfortable with himself and, and and I bet he was as a young man playing at UNI for Elder Miller. You know, there's just there's just some people that just have that Casey Blake I've always felt like that. Just kind of pretty comfortable with themselves and who yeah. they are and, and how they do things and, and my, that's always been my impression, Nick. Uh but he's really, really, really a, a bright guy and and, and you know, he changes things and then he found out early he wanted to be a professional coach. He graduated from the University of Northern Iowa. He knew he just didn't want to – he had a degree in accounting. He knew he didn't want that lifestyle. and he, he wanted to do some international stuff. And He was an average player, but he got a chance to play in England, Derby, England, and went over there. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. He's probably making about 12000 a year and maybe a place to stay with four other guys. And he just fell in love with it and really got – really liked that international experience and then I think the coach got fired or he had to, you know they needed or the coach left and Nick ended up you know like coaching the team at, at 23 24 years old now he had some experiences back here at South Dakota's assistant Grandview College head coach but they were short-lived Nick Nick was enthralled with uh the professional basketball game I mean he just told me that he's like 25 26 he was having a hard time getting an interview at, you know, Central College in Tel Iowa, a Division three program, and he called me up and said, "Or oh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, a, I'm going to go back to England." I said, "Nick, you ought to. You love professional basketball. You like that lifestyle. You like coaching adults. You like coaching paid players. And I think you like the, the intricacies of the game as well." When I'm going to fast forward a little bit to when I was helping Nick and. England, I always felt like Travis, I, I had a good base of basketball. I always felt like I was a, a decent basketball coach. But when Nick and I were in England, you know, you might play one week, you might play three games. The next week, you might only play one game. So you had a lot of downtime. And so Nick, you know, we're going to go scout. Let's go scout somebody. So we might, we were in Manchester, so we might drive to Newcastle or Sheffield and the way Nick drove, I'm surprised I'm still alive, but, but we, we, we'd, we'd be coming back from a game, you know. We, that was a great experience for me. Great fun. We'd come back from a game, and Nick goes, or oh, do you remember the two-minute mark? Newcastle was ahead of Sheffield. 
95 to 93, and they ran that cross screen, down screen, then ran the zipper cut for 55. Come, and, and he he looked at me, and he just I mean, he he'd embarrass me. I think he is a offensive genius. Yeah, I think Fred Hoiberg. I mean, I just think I really do think Nick is is an offensive genius. There's been a number of articles in the paper this week because of Nick's success in the NBA playoffs. But you know, Greg McDermott, who you know who was Nick's teammate at UNI and has had great success coaching is now at Creighton. But, you know, he just, he, he, he said, Nick, he, his first day on the, on, on, with him on a chalkboard, you know, or on a, on a grease board, you know, Greg, who's really, really good offensively, Mac, was drawing up some of the stuff that they do offensively at Creighton, who's really, really good stuff. And Nick goes, well, why don't you invert the big guys and put the guards down there, and that way you'll get this action coming off there. I mean, I just think he's a genius offensively. I, I'm probably not very good explaining that or detailing that, but, but he is he is really good. I, one story I did want to tell that I was thinking about before we get into Nick was we were talking about credibility, not being a counterfeit. So this is six years ago. Nick's the first year is, you know, Dwayne Casey was the head coach of the Raptors. He hires Nick to be his offensive guy as an assistant coach. You know, I mean, and Nick's you know, Dwayne Casey's a conservative, defensive-oriented guy like I am. Yeah, but he's going to let Nick try to do some things offensively because the Raptors are having trouble scoring points. So, you know, Nick's the first. I remember Nick told me the the most scared he's ever been or worried he's ever been getting ready to address a team was prior to his first. He's getting ready to walk into his first meeting where he was going to talk to the Raptors team about what his thoughts, plans, and schemes were offensively for his first year with the Raptors. Because he said, oh, these guys, these guys are pros. These are NBA guys. They're, they're smart guys. They know how to run things, and they can see through you in a heartbeat. Yeah. And obviously he, obviously he survived that meeting pretty well. But I always thought that was, here's this bright, confident, successful young man at the highest level and I appreciated his honesty and practice and telling me that story. No, that's, that's such a good story. And I think, it could, you know, back to the point I, I, I wanted to make earlier is like, if Nick, Nick nurse can't come into that locker room and, and quote unquote, start flexing his muscles and throwing his weight around and, and, and this is how we're going to do it. He's got to somehow win influence and, and, and somehow, um, you know, get those guys to to buy in, and it's not through flexing your muscles and and no. being a bully. You got you you've got to legitimately be able to win influence and get those guys to buy in by the way you treat them, by your knowledge, by your work ethic, and that's what I uh, love to hear about uh, coaches, college or pro. I just think, in, like we've said in the college game, oftentimes it's it's you bully kids, and you can't do that in the NBA. No, I and I don't. Yeah, you can't. You it won't. You won't survive, and you know your 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 comments are really good, Travis. And but it, you know, thought you we worked together for a year, known each other much longer, of course. But I and I think this about as part of of, of quote my blog presentation. I, I always think you know there's there's big strength. One of the big strengths in life is is having some humility. Yeah. You know, and I and Nick's Nick's humble. You know, I mean. Coach Stewart, now he has, you know, he steps on the floor. There's no doubt what he's trying to do, and he'll do anything to try to win. But there has to be a certain humility to your existence. And I think that relates to how, how players 
respond or react to you. Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. No, I think I totally agree. And again, it's kind of to your point that you said earlier, guys will read through it. Like if you're arrogant and it's about you, it's your show guys get, I mean, it might work for a little bit, but at some point that just, that wears thin on, on even college kids that wears thin. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, you're going to do it because you're either afraid of them or you want to play, or you're going to try to get the year over to a transfer. But, you know, I think, you know, and that, and I think get to be, to address the young coach, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, you, you talked about it a little bit. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But when I was a young coach, I didn't think I was. I was counterfeit. Yeah. You know, I just I was trying to be somebody else. I wasn't sure what I wanted to be, how I wanted, how I how I needed to act to get there. And that I don't think I did that on purpose. But those those young those players I coached when I was a young guy, that wasn't that wasn't fair to them. But I think that's. I think you've got to work at it. If I, you know, any advice I would give a young coach is, you know, one, figure out who you are as early as, as you as you can, because that's just going to help your coaching experience and probably advancement even more. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask an off the cuff question. Uh, I love that advice. I think it's so so critical. What would you tell if a young coach says, "Okay, I hear you," and I, I, great advice, or how do I do that? How do I learn who I am? How do, how do I speed that process up? Well, I, 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 I'll give you uh, an uh, anecdote. I got back into coaching. Um, so I'm 50 years old. Somewhat embarrassed to tell this story, but I think it's really important, and I'm, I'm kind of proud to tell the story at the same time. But, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't coached for 10 years. I hadn't been a head coach for a number of years. I had, you know, somehow we'd recruited good players that first year. I had a good team, and, and and these these weren't suburban kids, Travis. These were tough street kids who I really really liked. But they, you know, you needed to, you had to hand, you had to coach them. Yeah, you, know, you had to coach them on and off the floor. And and uh, at that time, prior to that, you know, I had two, three of my best friends were working for Larry Eustace at Iowa State, who had great success at Iowa State. You know, great basketball coach, but I'm going to tell you what, you walked into one of his practices and, and, you know, I was afraid to make eye contact with him because <laughs> they were, they were tough, physical. And so anyway, the first couple of practices at DMAC, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you know, you got to, I said, I got to get control of this team. I got to set boundaries. I got to set expectations. And I, but then I get home at night and I felt miserable. Yeah. You know, I really, I felt, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like what was going on. And I'll never forget it. I called Gary Garner. And I said, I said, he said, how's your team? And I said, coaches, I like my team. We're talented. It's going to shock some people around here. I'll tell you that. But here's what's going on with me personally. And, you know, I'm 50. I'm not 23. And I told him kind of what I, how I was doing. And I was blowing up at practice and, and yelling at, at uh, mistakes, not the players. I don't do that. But yelling at the mistakes. He goes, or just quit it. He said, you're, you're a decent guy. Just be yourself. Yeah. Just be yourself. That doesn't mean and so that's 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 I guess that's my advice if yeah. if that makes sense. Totally. Love it. Love it. Okay, let's uh I got two more coaches I want to ask you about and then I wanna to, to dive in a little bit more to uh your strengths. First first guy I wanna ask you about is Tim Floyd, who uh did he follow up you Stacy at no, he was before you Stacy at Iowa State, correct? 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. What, what made Tim yep. Floyd so successful? Well, Floyd was, he followed Johnny Orr, who was, you know, a legendary figure at Iowa State. Didn't, you know, win a thousand games or national titles, but just a charismatic, popular, popular man in Ames, Iowa. And then, you know, Tim followed him. You know, first of all, I think, I think Tim should have been a politician or could have been a politician. Really, really bright. A really good basketball coach was not going to compromise on how he wanted to play. And again, he was an assistant for a long time under Don Haskins at Texas El Paso. Mr. Haskins or Haskins had been uh, played for Mr. Ivis. So that's their basketball philosophy. That's where Tim's came from. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take care of the basketball. We're not gonna turn it over. We're gonna take good shots and we're gonna guard you. And we're not gonna give up anything in defensive transition. And Tim was that, but he was a charismatic guy. You know, he 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 could he could recruit guys and he could coach guys that you know uh, I probably couldn't coach. You know, he just had that had that had that ability. But he was always uh, I'll tell the story. I'm be careful. But back then, you know, when Tim was at Iowa State before he went to the Bulls, you know, a lot of Tim's guys were were getting jobs around the country and um you know tim he told me well he did tell me one time he goes or you know i was an assistant in el paso we go to conference tournaments and, you know all the other assistant coaches and there some of them were friends of mine so, you know we're at those conference tournaments after you know in between games or after games or, or stuff he goes they, they just go out by themselves and go to the clubs or the bars or whatever and go out with each other he said I wanted to be with the administrators. I wanted to be with the athletic directors because they're the guys who are going to be doing the hiring. So that's where Tim figured that that out at a young age. So that's yeah. how his mind worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he was good. He was good at it. I mean, he really, really bright, articulate, uh, but motivated and driven uh, at a young age. But back then, his guys were getting jobs. You know, not not big time jobs. But Eustace was one of those guys got the Idaho job. Uh, Tim ended up when he left Iowa State to go to the Bulls. Tim got Larry the Iowa State job, and I was talking to a friend of mine who was head coach at a Missouri Valley school at that time, a close friend. And he goes, "Orb, you know," and these guys are friends of Tim's. He goes, "Orb, you know Tim? He and his guys—they're like the ninjas, <laughs> the way they operate." <laughs> yeah. But he's but he's a good bas- basketball coach and reached out to some friends of mine when they needed it. So I, I respect him, Floyd. Yeah, that's good. Okay, the last one I want to ask you about, um, coach that uh, was the baseball coach there at Des Moines Area Community College when you were there, Dan Fitzgerald. What made him? He went to, I think, four uh, World Series, Junior College World Series that is in his five years at DMAC. What, what made him so successful? What makes him so successful? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I was just really a bright visionary and knew the day we that when we hired Dan, it was going to turn out and, and what what we we had working for us. But I didn't. I mean, we we knew he's a good guy. We knew he was going to work hard. He, we knew his focus. We knew he had good values and had a vision for what he wanted to happen with that, that baseball program. But the follow through staggered all of us. But I will say, I will say this after a you know, short time. So he's, he's the head coach July 1st, you know, by January one, Tom Lee, who was the campus provost at the time, former coach, great administrator, 
uh, we we talk a lot about Dan. We knew we had somebody special. Now, was he was there never any problems administrating Dan Fitzgerald? Heck, yes, there were problems. He was he was horrible. <laughs> he he didn't want to be an academic advisor. Uh, he want he you know I he, I could have give we could have given him eight million dollars for a scholarship budget and that wouldn't have been enough. But but you you want that, Travis. I'm saying that in complete jest. Yeah. You want that out of your coaches. You know, want them trying to be aggressive. You want them to ask for more. You want them to want things for their program and and Dan did and you know, I think it wasn't very long. You we knew we had somebody special that I just you know, I understand the job he has at Dallas Baptist, great job, great situation for he and his and his family in a special situation for his family, but I still keep hoping if he wants to pick up the paper someday and he's named the head coach at wherever big time school because he's yeah. good. He is really good. Yeah, no, it's going to happen. I agree with you. It's going to happen. It's just I think it's a matter of time for sure. Hey, hey, let let me let me ask you one more. Uh, not a, not not uh, well, former coach, former high school coach, but you mentioned uh, this guy's name. Um, Tom Lee, the provost at uh, the Boone campus there at Des Moines Area Community College, um, big time leader. I spent a year around him, was obviously impressed. Um, yeah, tell me about Tom. What makes him such a great leader? Well, I, he, former former successful high school basketball coach, small town Iowa guy, got into administration, smart, got into administration, started out as a junior high principal, Get into uh, as a high school principal at a you know a uh, tough quote inner city high school in the east side of Des Moines and just loved it, relished the challenge. You know, first of all, Tom's you know kind of like Nick. You know, some Tom has great instincts, Travis. I mean, he just has great instincts. He understands. He runs a building exactly like he coaches his basketball team. You know, he has a vision for it. Uh, wasn't going to compromise, was going to be understanding, would listen, uh, have some humility. But I think the biggest thing I've been around Tom is just he just has great instincts on how, how to handle situations as they arise, and they do every day. You know, getting about and talking about problems you face. Uh, Bruce Weber, who's now the head coach of Kansas State, at this time was the was the head coach at, at Illinois, and he was recruiting one of our guys. and. He was in my office and I said, Bruce, how are you doing? He said, Orv, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm doing good. And he said, here's, he said, I said, well, how do you handle, you know, problems when they come up? And he goes, Orv, I figured out, and I think Coach Katie did this at Purdue when I was assistant. I walk into the office every morning, every morning expecting a problem. Yeah. And that way, if I don't have one, it's been a great day. <laughs> I don't know if I want to live my life like that, but but I think that's relevant. But getting back to Tom, Tom just had, you know, we have a situation in the dorm or a situation with a faculty member, a situation in the classroom with students, you know. Tom just, you know, he had really, really good instincts. And then even more important, there's no question he had the gumption and the courage. And when he made a decision, he was going to stick by it. He was yeah. not afraid to make a decision, hardly. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, let's talk uh, a, a little bit about you. You've, you've, you've mentioned some things, but what what are the giftings that 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 God gave you that allowed you to be successful? What do you think are the top gifts, or maybe the top two gifts? Well, I think I think God told me that 
one time your biggest strength or was probably your biggest weakness. And I think what I developed into as a, as a, as a senior citizen is, uh, I think I was most of my adult life, Travis. And I think this is God given is a, you know, I'm a caring, compassionate person. Yeah. That's my, I like to, I like civility in my life and consideration of, of other people and, all walks of life. I don't care. I think that's the biggest gift that I've been given. That I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad I have those. Really glad I have those. What was your? Always cared about other people. No doubt, dude. And that shows through big time. What was your um, on the court? Were you 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 were a defensive guy, correct? Yep. 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 Yeah. And where yep. did what was Norm Stewart a defensive guy? I mean, was that his bread and butter? Yeah, I think no, but Gary's. I think Gary Garner is really, uh, you know, Norm's defense. We're going to get, you know, like as defensive transition. You know, Gary might spend twenty minutes in practice every day. Specifically, we're going to get back defensively. Coach Stewart, he might he might talk about it for thirty seconds, and he'd say, you know, he, when the ball goes up, you don't get the rebound. You get your rear end down the other floor and you run as hard as you can. <laughs> that's how that's how that's Norm's defensive transition. And if you don't, you're coming out. And, yeah. But but we knew we better run and stay out of the center floor. When we we're getting back, so we, we wouldn't get in the point guard's way as you try to stop the ball come up. But I think most of it, I I I learned from Gary. And I just think, you know, I talked about offensively. You know, I, when I watch when I watch a game now. Uh, Steve Crafts is in Travis. You remember he was a really good player at Iowa, North Carolina, really good basketball coach. But he's a women's coach at Des Moines Area Community College now. And there'd be a game on the night before, say, say Iowa State's playing KU on TV. And so I go into Kay's office, Crafts is in his office. He come into mine, and we talk about the game we saw the night before. And you know, I just watch the game. I see it defensively, and Kay sees it offensively. Yeah. So. I don't I think Barb's just the way it is. Yeah, totally. Well, I I want to I want to share this story because I think it's relevant to to what we've been talking about. I uh when you and Tom Lee hired me um back in what was that 2006, the summer of 2006. Yeah. It was interesting. I come into to Des Moines Area Community College having been at the Division 1 level and assistant for 7 years, played at Wichita State, played uh, a few years of, of professional baseball in the Marlins organization. And uh, I was, I felt like I was turned upside down a little bit. I was trying to figure out who, who I was. I thought I knew who I was, but I was questioning a lot of things when you, I think when you're a, around, when, when you, when you hear somebody or people say, Hey, this is the way you have to do it to win, or this is, you know, this is the the style that, that, that you have to do it to win. If that doesn't line up with, with, how you're wired, I think you can be a little bit uh, confused, almost like, dang, well, that's not me. So I'm screwed. I guess I'm not going to win. So honestly, I, I, I came to, to DMAC um, a little bit turned upside down, trying to figure out who, who am I. And uh, Orv, I, I remember one conversation in particular. There was probably hundreds that, that we had that were really valuable to me, but there was one particular conversation. I remember we were at the, in the gym um, and just – doing this, literally doing this, talking coaching, what makes this guy so great or what's he do so well. And you said a few things that day that um, I, I honestly would say kind of flipped, flipped me back right side up. And it was like that moment that I felt released, like, okay, 
I, you, you, there's not one way to skin a cat. There's not one way to win a championship. There's multiple ways. You got to be who you are. You got to be yourself. Um, you said a few things that, that day that really, really flipped me back right side up and, and, and helped me a, a ton. And so to encourage you or man, I, um, I listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and a guy was talking about his personal Mount Rushmore. And uh, I got you on my personal Mount Rushmore as far as guys that impacted me. And what's crazy is I've spent one year with you, like really deeply one year, obviously, <laughs> thin, but one year of, of being around you and just your wisdom, your insight, your transparency, your humility, it, it flipped me right back, you know, right side up. And I would say really propelled me, not just in my coaching career, but, but, I, but I think just in my, my careers beyond that, my career in ministry, and then now my career working with and, and walking with coaches. So uh, just to encourage you, um, I, and, and I, can, I can already hear you right now or downplaying it, and, and I'm not going to let you. Uh, <laughs> dude, you've been okay. a lot okay. of people and, and, and probably no, more, you know, no one more so than, than myself. So... Um, I've, I've lived firsthand that humility, that wisdom that you have, that insight and that transparency that really shot me on a, on, on a better trajectory than, than where I was ha- headed. So, uh, I wanted to make sure and, and get that on recording cause I, I mean it and you're on my, uh, you're on my Mount Rushmore with, with Brent Kimnitz and some other, some other key guys. Thank you. Sincere, sincere. Thanks. Yeah. Means a lot. Means a lot, boy. Yeah. Okay, let's end with um, three questions. Right now, what are you currently reading and or listening to to, to help yourself grow? Well, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm 68, so I don't know that I'm going to be reading any Zig Ziglar stuff anymore, Travis, but I, I, do, I, do, I do read a lot. I like reading. My wife and I are not, we don't get at home, watch the news, watch the Big Bang Theory. You know, we know we don't watch TV, so I do read a lot. I go to the library a lot. Typically, I'll get four books. Three of them are authors that that I like, and I always try to get one nonfiction book out of those four that I feel like got a little substance and maybe a little self improvement in it. Right now, I mean, the last two books I've read, you know, have been have been basketball books, and that's really kind of that's kind of coincidentally because I don't do that all the time the last book I read was a book by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you know it's about I think it's called Wooden and Me or Coaching Me and it's it's a great great read by a really bright introspective intuitive guy in Jabbar and, and his relationship with Coach Wooden which I would you know I just recommend the book and and, and also I'm reading right now aside from the three normal crime books i read i'm reading another basketball book basketball uh game i love which is just you know it's just a a history of of all, a lot of things in the game nba the old college games the college basketball scandal but you know might talk about the 1960 uh, the celtics of uh, the 1960s and yeah. you know this chapter on the 60s Celtic russell and Kuzi, Heidson, Ramsey, Havlicek, and it'll you'll have just interview, you know, like one sentence uh, quotes from or interview statements from all these different guys. You know, Jerry West who played against Melody Baylor, who played against him, and from from uh, Russell and from Havlicek, and, and it's it's really a good read. And it goes all the way. It talks about the I talk about 
the ACC. It might be a, a chapter on Pistol Pete Maravich. So that's a long-winded answer to what I'm currently reading, but I do read a lot and I like it. Love it. Love it. You've already answered the second question. So I'm going to add you, you, the, the question is what advice would you give a young coach? And I thought, I thought your advice is, it was, was great as far as just learning who you are and, and, and knowing your strengths and, you know, being comfortable in your own skin, anything else uh, that you would, you would tell a 25, 24 year old guy that's getting or gal that's getting into coaching. No, just, just hopefully you, you, you figure out early on. I, I, I personally like coaches that like players, like being around young people. Figure that out as well, and that's part of the process. That's good. That's good. And then the last question I always ask: um, Who should I get on this podcast? What one person, or, or what one coach, or maybe a couple coaches? Would you say, man, you got to get this? You got to get this guy, or you got to get this gal on your podcast? Well, I thought, I thought about it since you brought it up before our before our talk, T, and, and I. I came right away with Darian DeVries. You know, he's the head basketball coach at Drake University. I'm like another Midwest guy, another University of Northern Iowa guy, a Creighton guy. But the reason I think Darian is, he's, he's you know, he, had, he won the Missouri Valley Conference his first year as a head coach in a program at Drake. It's really, really hard place to win. Yeah. Really hard. And, and he wins the title his first year and, and a humble guy. And he's, I think he's 42, 43 years old had been an assistant his entire career at Creighton University yeah. under Dane Altman and Greg McDermott. And I think it's an astounding story. And uh, I would, you know, personally, I'd love to hear about some of the times, you know, like I think he probably got turned down or didn't get an interview at Drake two or three times when he was at Creighton on teams that had great success and he couldn't get an interview at Drake. And you knew there's other places like that. And I think it'd be a really intriguing story to hear i do that's great that's great i love that idea he was at creighton when i was there i don't know him well but uh but but know of him so well orb this yeah, is humble humble small town guy yeah love it dude thanks so much for carving time i told i told several people when when i was uh thinking about doing this podcast before i'd ever started i i, I told several people i have to get on uh or because he will be gold <laughs> and not let us down so thanks for taking time or well, hopefully I didn't let you down. Thank you for asking. It was an honor. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you please do two things for us? The first, would you just spread the word? Would you tell other people about Coaching DNA Podcast? And the second, would you leave a review? 